I'm very bad with this microphone. My name is Sean McKittrick. Uh, trying to do this on my tablet. I, I can't see a Bible. Um, uh, <laughs> sometimes people think it is. says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which it is to you to try you, as though something strange, stump, strange thing happened to you. But rejoice in the extent that you are that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exciting joy, exceeding joy. Sorry. Uh, I'll start. I was born in Enid, Oklahoma, 1982, December 29th, middle of winter. And if you know anything about the plains in this middle of winter, you got snow about up to your hips. Uh, my mother, whose birthday was the day before mine, had just turned 16 years old. So she was still a child. Um, my father was barely 18. Uh, we lived in a camper that would fit on this stage right here. Had a little bedroom in the back, table in the front, little kitchenette in the middle. Um, that was that was how we lived. Uh, had a sister a year later, and then after that, my dad decided it was time to go. He didn't want no part of that no more. So about two years old, my mom met another guy that became my dad. He raised me, oh, I can't tell you how, about 14 years. And when we were 14 years old, so I'm skipping through a lot of stuff here. We were about, I was about 16 years old. We moved to Tennessee. It was 1998. And my mom and dad had a rocky relationship. It was one of those love-hate things. Um, you know, uh, one day they loved each other. The next week or two, they couldn't stand each other. Um, that was what I grew up in, uh, life of sin. Uh, I, was, I was no good child. I was the kid you didn't want your kids hanging around with. Um, that, that was, I don't know, just how I was raised. I, I, didn't, I said whatever I wanted to say to whoever I wanted to say it to and didn't suffer any consequences. Um, my father was, was a... I don't know. <laughs> he was he was hard. He was a biker. He I don't know. Did what he wanted to do. He didn't go by the laws of of what we went by. He did his own thing and he raised me that way. Uh since I was blind, uh couldn't see, I got to do what I wanted to do. I was a boy. And, and if you didn't like it, you answered to him. 
So uh, we were living down here. We just moved here. I'd spent the summer living with my uncle up north and uh, getting the taste of the rich life. My uncle, he had his own business and you know, was successful, and, and he was going to take me under his wing and show me a few things, and, and I was glad to learn that and glad to get a taste of that life because we grew up dirt poor. Um, I didn't have glasses when I should have had glasses. I didn't have clothes when I should have had clothes. I uh, wore whatever I could get out of the dirty clothes pile because we didn't have a clean clothes pile. Um, just, I don't know, didn't know when we were going to eat our next meal. Uh, had one meal a day that was supper. I ate at school. I went to school just to eat. During the summertime, I'd go to my friend's house and get whatever he had in his refrigerator. Um, had a couple buddies like that that would help me out. Uh, but I would help them out too. <laughs> I was the guy that could get the beer. Um, you know, I, I don't know, at 14 years old, I could out drink any of y'all in here now. You know, I, that, was, that was how I lived. Um, when I was 16, we lived here. Uh, my mom and my dad, they had split up. We were up north. He come here with my sister, and they were living in a trailer park over here by the uh, on Mill Street. And we decided we were gonna come down here and get my sister and turn around and go back to where we were. Well, as soon as we got here, it was love at first sight. Oh, they're they're in love again. So we're one big happy family again for about a month. And then uh, I guess about Christmas things went sour. This was August when we got here. And about Christmas, things went sour. Um, she, she done took off to another part of the trailer park, found a new group of friends, and they were doing whatever they did. And I stayed with my dad. I, that's where I wanted to be to begin with. And uh, It was January 21st, 1999. We, uh, I was, I was. We had a grand plan. We had a great scheme. We were gonna, we were gonna pack up and go back to Kansas. And uh, the 22nd, I was supposed to hop on a Greyhound bus, go back to Kansas to my uncle Lenny's, and wait for my dad to get back out there. We were gonna move back to Hollywood and start life, open up a garage. He, he had it all planned out. You know, things were gonna be great. Uh, January 21st, he come to pick me up, and I. I'd been sitting in a, a trailer all morning outside of town over by Frito-Lay, sitting there just waiting. Dad's supposed to be here two hours ago. Dad's supposed to be here four hours ago. Man, I'm, I'm going to have to wait till tomorrow to get on that bus, you know. I'm just, I'm disappointed at that point. Well, about, I don't know, 3.30 in the afternoon, he comes sliding in the driveway. He had a uh, an 82 Grand Prix that souped up and a big old 350 motor in it, and T-tops, and pretty car, you know, real fast. And uh, he said, come on, we're going to go to Alabama. Don't worry about it. We'll get you there on the bus tomorrow, and everything will be all right. It's like, all right. He had a case of beer in the back, so I popped one open, hopped in, we took off. We headed to Alabama for the rest of the day. We went down there to uh, Florence to see an old friend of his, and Stood outside, drinking beer, talking. And then we hopped back in the car and was headed back for the state line. And uh, 
we got to, uh, we was on Minor Hill Highway. As soon as you cross mile marker one, or as soon as you cross the mile marker on Highway 11 into Tennessee, it starts going downhill. You go down a great big old hill. Well, about halfway down that hill, there's there used to be a bar. It's uh, just an old abandoned building now. It's got grass growing up in the parking lot. He slid in there sideways and said, let's have a beer. It's like, well, Dad, I'm 16. I can't drink. He said, I'll put your hat on. And it'll be all right. I just want to go in here and see what's happening. I was like, all right. So uh, we go in, and he's flirting with the barmaid, and there's two guys sitting on the end of the bar that don't really care for him. So he, have, he has a beer, and I have a Dr. Pepper, and he said, all right, let's get out of here. He didn't say it in those words, but that's what we was like, all right, let's go. We get to the car, and he did something that, that he never did before. He asked me if I wanted to drive. Now, I'm legally blind. Uh, I, can, I can do anything you can do, but I, I can't get a license. I can't pass the eye test. That didn't matter to him. Didn't, didn't care about that. I knew how to drive. He taught me how to drive. And uh, as far as my driving experience went, it was back roads. This is a highway. You know, I'm I'm pretty buzzed. You know, I've been drinking with him all afternoon. I said, Dad, I ain't, I ain't like you. I, I can't do that. I'm, why don't you go ahead and drive? You got this. So we, uh, we peel tires out of there, and we get... To mile marker one, and that's when my life changed. We uh, started coming around the corner. We were doing about 80 mile an hour, and uh, Sweet Home Alabama come on the radio. Turned it up. We both reached for the knob about the same time, and that's when we hit the guardrail on my side of the car. Had the T-tops off. Neither one of us is wearing a seatbelt. The car starts to barrel roll and we hit a truck on the other lane the last thing I remember seeing was water through the roof of the car I look down and I see the creek because we were over a bridge I wake up we're on the other side of the bridge in the other lane in the ditch the car is still shaking because the wheels are still spinning so I just confused you know I just woke up in the floorboard of the passenger side or the driver's side and so I reach over and I turn the key off and I'm getting my bearings because I don't know I don't know what just happened this is the first time I've been in a wreck and uh, I holler for my dad I'm like dad where you at I'm thinking he's walking around kicking the bumper cussing wondering you know how are we gonna get this thing home you know that's what I'm expecting and uh I look over about four foot from my side of the car and I see him laying in the ditch. He's dead. Mm. His eyes are crystal white. And I can't forget him. Mm. So I'm screaming. I'm hollering, God, why? Why, God? Shaking. Just wake up. Come on, Dad, wake up. He ain't doing nothing. So, being the resilient boy that I was, I was going to do CPR. I 
as soon as I pumped his chest, I saw I could feel it. It was just crunch. And I grab him by his head, and I pull him up to me, and it's just just mush in the back of his head. Mm. A car had done rolled over the top of him, crushed his ribs, smashed his skull. There was no saving him. The, the, they said, the paramedics said that, that it was an instant. He didn't feel no pain. He was gone quick. The last thing I remember was him grabbing me before I seen the water. No seat belts, wearing T-top, or T-tops off, doing 80 mile an hour, hit the bridge on my side of the car. I shouldn't be alive. I shouldn't be here right now. So I'm screaming. I just, I'm, I'm, I've lost it. I'm, there's no more alcohol in my system. Adrenaline has took over. I am pumped. I'm just like, I'm scared to death because the one man that I loved more than anything in this world that loved me more than anything in this world is gone. And, I, and I'm all alone. I'm, I don't even know what to do. And a car comes by. It's a little old, I look like a rambler. I don't know what it's a red car with a gray stripe down the side of it. And they slow down and they're laughing. They seem to be about as drunk as we were before it happened. And I'm like, get me some help. I need some help, please. And they take off out of there. Well, next thing I remember is a silver Caprice, early 80s with a red top, pulls up right on that little road right before that bridge. And the guy, he's tall, got dark hair and a mustache, and he just runs up and grabs me. I'm still laying there on the ground with my dad squalling my brains out. I just, I don't know what to do. And he grabs me, drags me over to the side of the road, and he just starts hugging me. And he says, son, I don't know who you are right now. I don't know nothing about you, and you don't know nothing about me. But all I can tell you is God loves you. Amen. Jesus Amen. loves you. Amen. And he keeps saying that to me. Amen. And I don't know why. And I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And then the, the highway patrol pulls up. Man, this all happened so fast. But I never, I'll never see that man again. I don't know who he is. I don't know. I don't know his name. All I know was what he was driving and what he looked like. That man right there. You guys have no idea what that did to me. How could somebody say that? Did you not see what's happening here? How can you tell me God loves me? God has forsaken me. Why? Why are you saying things like this? And. And that's what's going through my mind, a 16-year-old boy that's just lost everything, it seems like. But now I know, I know God does love me because it's through those trials, through those experiences that brought me to where I am now, that's made me who I am now. You can put me in the fire. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. We, uh, we laid him to rest the 25th of January. And I decided that I got to get to know my real father. I got to find out who my real dad is. So I, 
I pack up my bags and I go to Wisconsin. I go to more snow. <laughs> and uh, living the lifestyle I lived, having no rules at all, nobody could tell me what to do, what to say, how to act. I went to a home where it was nothing but rules, nothing but respect for your elders, respect for your parents. And I couldn't take it. I could not take it. I, I ran away. I, I just couldn't do it no more. Well, I was there about six months, and I threw my stuff out the attic window, and I went down to the basement, crawled out the basement window, and I split. I went to my grandma's house for about a month, and then I come back to Tennessee. While I was in Wisconsin, I had it made. I was doing good in school. I had people around me that loved me. I had people there that just didn't want nothing but the best for me. But I didn't want that. I didn't want that. I wanted to be my own man. I wanted to follow my own rules. I didn't care about none of that stuff. So I come back to what I called hell. I come back to Pulaski, Tennessee, back to the trailer park, back to living the old dope-smoking lifestyle I lived, beer-drinking. I was the guy. If you wanted to have a good time, holler at me. We'll do it. I lived that way till just a few years ago. I met, uh, I met Amanda when I was 17. I met, met her, and uh, we became really good friends. She seen something in me that, that nobody else seen, and I couldn't figure out for the life of me what it was. She, uh, we, we didn't date for a while. We were best friends. You know, she, she knew everything about me. She knew my whole story. She knew what I did. I didn't have no secrets from her. And then, uh, finally I got tired of being jealous of the boyfriends she had. And she got tired of jealous of the girlfriends I had. And we decided we were going to get together. <laughs> and, uh, that was the... That was the end of that story. Well, it's not the end, but that was. When I was 18 years old, I was framing with a guy. And uh, a blind man framing, yeah. I built a few houses. <laughs> I'd do anything you can do. And I'll try to do it better. Uh, we were working on a house out here on Beach Hill Road. Uh, I can't tell you about how many miles out of town it is. It's on Friendship Lane, I can tell you that. Oh, got a rock, got some rocks on the side of it. Well, it's got a full basement. And uh, the guy I was working for, this was my third house. And uh, we were putting a floor over this basement. And when I learned how to frame, when you're walking on the wall, you put one foot on the block, one foot on the board, one foot on the block, one foot on the board. You don't look down. You just carry it on down through there. And uh, so we're waiting to get lunch, man. Uh, Charles has got a big fatty rolled, and I'm, we're excited. So we're going through there, and I'm hurrying up, and I'm not paying no attention. Well, I step on the block, and there's no block there. There's a cutout for an air unit. Mm. And I've got a 16-foot-long 2 by 12 on my arm, and I fall headfirst into that basement. Mm. <clears throat> this side of my brain right here had a 
aneurysm about that big around. I sat and I laid in Huntsville Hospital on Huntsville Hospital on life support for a couple days in a coma. It was about the second day I woke up and it was time to go home. Uh, didn't have no insurance or nothing like that. God took care of that too. I was working a month later at the Tennessee and truck stop. I know a guy right now that fell off a roof. He's a painter like I am. Fell off a roof helping his dad. And it was almost as high as what I fell. And he's paralyzed from the neck down. But God's got a story through him too. Mm -hmm. yep. And he's not scared to tell it. Amen. It's uh. It's amazing that, that I walked from a situation like that and still was blind. Mm -hmm. Still. Oh, yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. All right. Let's go back to the party. That's, that's the way I was. Well, then fatherhood kicked in. I was, I was what, 20, 21. And uh, I, I come home from work one day. And there's a note on the bed. And it's, uh, she was scared to tell me. She left a note and went to work. And I read this letter, and I sit in this chair under our carport, staring, thinking, what now? I'm about to be a father. I'm not ready for this. I didn't want kids. So I'm just in my mind thinking, what's next? What do you do now? You got to grow up now, Sean. Party's over. It's time to be a dad. Well, my whole life, my whole life, I've said, when I become a father, my son will never call anybody else dad. Amen. Amen. My son will never know what it's like to live the lifestyle I grew up in. Mm -hmm. My son will never be anything like I was. That was the promise I made to myself. And uh, that worked. That worked for, I don't know, about 10 years. I guess about 9, 10 years, things started falling apart. Me and her, just we weren't on the same level no more. She, she wanted to settle down, and I wanted a full throttle, baby. Yeah, the kids laid down. It's time for Papa to play. Where's, where's everything at, you know? Uh, I thought I could still live that lifestyle I, I lived before without my kids knowing. But I, in the back of my mind, I knew one of these days, I'm going to have to explain what that smell is to my son. I'm going to have to explain what that bottle is to my daughter. I don't know if I can do that. Well, now I'm fixing to have to explain why Daddy don't want to be at home no more. My mom and daddy don't want to be together no more. That was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life. The hardest thing I ever had to do in my life. And it took my best friend looking me in the eyes and saying, man, what are you doing? What are you doing? I thank him to this day because he, I mean, those, those words brought everything back into perspective. I've got a family. I've got a great wife. I, I got all this going for me. I got a job, a career that I, I mean, 
You know, some wouldn't call it much of a job, but I've turned it into a pretty su successful uh, talent. I'm legally blind, and I can paint the straightest line in this whole county. <laughs> I can. I do it every day. Thank you, God. Amen. There's no reason I should be able to do it. No reason at all. And uh, it's just it's crazy how how He will put you through so many trials. And when you get on the other side, you think, well, what much to that? Until you get to the next one, and you think, man, how am I going to do this? And then you get on the other side of that one. And then you look back, and you're like, well, there ain't much I can do now. I've, try, I've tried it all. Uh, what's that next? Uh, John 9, 1 through 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, then, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Amen. Amen. That, that scripture... That scripture changed my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, for a long time I wondered, why, why am I like this? Why, why did God do this to me? And then I read that. And then I look back at my life and I think, man, you've been through so much. God has brought you so many different places. He puts you through so many lifestyles. Through, you know, you've had the best and you've had the worst. You've been through hell and you've been through, through some of the greatest experiences anybody could go through. You know, he's, he's done a lot with the, this piece of clay right here. And he's still forming me. Uh, you know, when I, when, I, when I realized I was throwing my relationship with my wife away and, and throwing my relationship with my children away and my friend, he looked me in the eye and asked me, what are you doing? I thought, what am I doing? I said, I need to fix this. So I, I told my wife, I said, I will do anything, anything. And she still loved me. She still loved me after through everything I put her through. Mm -hmm. And I said, I will go to church. I will go to counseling. I will, I will go do whatever it takes if we can fix this. You know what she wanted to do? She wanted to go to church. Amen. I was like, all right. So we were looking for a church. All right, where are we going to go? Her friend Shelly said, you need to come out here and check out the Wells Baptist Church. And we're like, all right. So we come out here. And I sit about fourth row, about the midways back there. And we're in Sunday school. Mm. What am I doing in Sunday school? <laughs> what? All right, I'll sit here. I can sit in this pew if that's what it takes. And then that man right there stood right there and did nothing but throw fire and brimstone at me and convict me to the bone. I couldn't take much of that. Oh. But man, I go home and I'm like, man, all right. I hear you, God. I'm doing this for her. I'm doing this for us, all right. If it's all it takes is sitting there listening and, and uh, sitting in a pew, well, you know, if, I hope it works. 
we'll try we'll try another church if it don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kevin, he was they were on a mission trip when we started coming here. And then he gets up here and he preaches. So after listening to Nick do Sunday school, Kevin get up here and preach. And I'm like, golly, I'm sweating. <laughs> well, then they start talking about things that I, I know too much about. And I'm, I'm grabbing that pew so tight that my knuckles are white. Mm -hmm. I could probably pull that little arch off the back that's holding that material on. I mean, I'm just, it's all I can take. And then I've got Satan right here. Tell him, don't do it. Don't do it. You'll mm -hmm. be a fool. You'll look so stupid. Mm -hmm. You know that voice. Mm -hmm. Every one of you do. Yeah. One day I didn't listen. Amen. I had to come up here and, and I prayed and I prayed. And I was like, oh, I've never done that. I've never gone up in front of anybody and just prayed. I still didn't go to Nick or Kevin and say, look, brother, I'm lost. I need your help. Tell me what I got to do. I knew what I had to do because I didn't listen to them talk about it. <laughs> I knew what I had to do. We were at a social down at uh, Mount Zion one day, and, and Nick's baptizing this boy in the creek, and God is pushing me. Man, quit pushing me. <laughs> He's pushing me. He's telling me. It's your turn next. Amen. You know what you got to do? Mm -hmm. I'm like, where's that other voice at? <laughs> that voice ain't nowhere around. God's telling me. And I tell Nick, can I, can I go next? Sure. Sure thing. He takes me there. and That's one of the... I was glad somebody was there to get pictures because that's probably the best picture I ever took coming up out of that water. I have not been the same ever since. Amen. I have not Amen. been the same ever since. Amen. Sitting in that pew. <laughs> Sitting in that pew is no longer enough. Amen. I had to do something. Mm -hmm. I had to be part. I had to, all right, all right, God, you, you showed me this. You showed me that. Now what do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. So now God sent me to Guatemala twice, fixing to send me there a third time. God has not only pushed me down there but I wanted to I wanted to know what being a real man was I wanted to know what being a godly man was mm -hmm. so I talked to Nathan one day and he says man I, I, I need the same thing you're talking about let me look at a few things and I'll get back with you well he lays this men's study on me called the uh, authentic manhood 33 series and we're in lesson four right now, fixing to start in two weeks. And it's been a life-changing stuff that I've ever read or, or watched. It has showed me how wrong I was. My definition of being a man was nothing like God's definition of being a man. Yeah. I could go on the rest of the night about that, but I, I can't. Mm -hmm. um, I've probably been up here way too long already. Um, I've, I even had a song to play and another <laughs> scripture to go. And, but God can use anybody. Amen. He didn't make you on accident. Right. He did not make you for, for filling space somewhere. He didn't make you to fill up a pew. He made you to be active. 
we can be godly men and we can take charge of our household. Mm -hmm. My wife going to church wasn't going to lead me to God. Me going to church, feeling convicted, led me to God. Me feeling convicted and being led to God helped bring my family closer, helped change our lives, helped change my <coughs> life, helped me realize that going to church is not just sitting in a pew. Amen. Going to church is, is being a, a man of God. Yep. And he calls you to do all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Nick uses a, a nice little parable about a tool. We are all a specific tool for a specific need. Mm -hmm. And I finally figured out what, what this tool is supposed to be used for. Mm. It took a while. It took a long while. But I know where I'm supposed to go. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know who I'm supposed to reach. We all have something like that in our lives. You may not be comfortable up here. You may be more comfortable in a nursery. You may be more comfortable talking to people out in this community. You may be more comfortable talking to people in another country. But you have a mouth that can spread the word of God. You have a heart that can love others. That's all it takes. Yep. This is a heart condition. That's what this is. And if you're not going to allow... If you're not going to uh, let God use the tool that he created you, if you're not going to be used for the purpose he created you, he'll get somebody else. Yeah. But, man, you are missing out big time. My last scripture was 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 and 13. <clears throat> Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which it is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice in the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeded joy. Mm -hmm. He's going to put you through some things. He's going to make you feel some things that's going to, man, they're going to hurt. Some of it's going to be painful to your body. Some of it's going to be painful to your heart. Some of these things you don't think you're ever going to get through. You don't think you're ever going to get past. You don't think you're ever going to forget. Time heals all wounds. How are you going to let it define you? Are you going to win? Or are you going to lose? I refuse to lose. Amen. God made me a winner. Mm -hmm. He made us all winners. We just got to choose to be yep. that. Yep. I thank y'all for listening to me. Uh, man, I, I, I got so much stuff I could talk about. There ain't nothing I can't talk about. But I just don't feel like it needs to be said. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, men men be the leader God designed you to be that's, that's mm -hmm. what I feel like God has told me to do is mm -hmm. talk to men yeah. 
I had a definition of being a man. I had a, an idea of what it took to be a man, and I was dead wrong. Mm. And God showed me what it means to be a godly man, and he wants me to share it with every other man in this world. Amen. So that's what I'm going to do. Amen. I'm not going to quit learning. I'm still going to go through some trials. I'm still not going to get it right. I'm going to fail here, and I'm going to fail there. But I'm not going to quit. Amen. And that's not what you're supposed to do either. Take hold of your family. Take hold of your wife. Love them. Teach them. Show them what it is to be a, a believer in Christ. Because through you, they can see. Thank you all. Amen. Amen.